There is no one like our Lord, our God. Amen? Amen. Well, again, I have the privilege of reading Scripture this morning. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, I uh, invite you to turn to Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. I will be reading from this week from the uh, English Standard Version. That's Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And now may God add his blessing to the reading of his sacred word this morning in your hearing. morning that parable have you heard that one before of course that parable illustrates the truth that um, is now before us as we turn to the sermon on the mount we're in matthew 6 Uh, jesus cautions his followers uh, about the foolishness of storing up treasures uh, only for this life rather than seeking to be rich toward God. I wonder this morning, are you rich toward God? Have you you a sense of what that is? Remember where we have been in Matthew 6. Jesus has been warning his people away from uh, the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were outwardly religious, all churchy on the outside, Uh, But inwardly, we're selfish. The scribes and the Pharisees of ancient Israel were were so often uh, spiritual posers. You know, a a poser is is a play actor. You know, he's doing right things for wrong reasons. And the Pharisees gave financially. And and the Pharisees prayed publicly. and, And they fasted simply to be seen and admired by others. They wanted to appear devoted to God and feel within themselves to be devoted to God without actually being devoted to God. If you can imagine such a thing. 
And so Jesus warns his people, and he warns us this morning away from that kind of hypocrisy. But now in, in this new section of Matthew 6 that we begin this morning, Jesus warns his people away from idolatry. Idolatry. The, the, the two great enemies of the Christian life, Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, are worldliness and worry. Worldliness and worry. That's basically the rest of, of Matthew 6 in a nutshell. And, and though they seem like completely different things to us, they are actually opposite sides of the same coin of idolatry. Both worldliness and worry grow in the soil of idolatry. And, and so the verses we're about to read together this morning uh, describe for us the worldly heart. Uh, what does it mean to have a worldly heart? Well, it, it's to have a heart that is distracted by or, or unduly attracted to the good gifts that God provides us in this life. Like the rich man hoarding his crops, God had provided him the seed. God had provided him the sunshine, the rain, even, even the means and the ability to build bigger barns. All of that was a gift from God. The land itself, a gift from God. And yet, rather than worshiping the giver, the man worshiped the gifts. That's idolatry. Rich soil for both worldliness and worry. So let's, let's look together now at Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19, the words of our King Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body so then if your eye is clear your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. When good things take on an importance they are not meant to have, when, when good things from God crowd out the pursuit of God's best things. Um, we know that we're storing up treasures for ourselves just for this life uh, rather than being rich toward God. And, and here is a passage that we're very familiar with, uh, many of us, and yet we find that we always need this reminder that what we treasure, you know, our, our, our attitudes about material things reveals the reality of our hearts. In other words, my wallet, <laughs> your purse, your wallet is, is a better measure of allegiance to Christ than, than simply our words. Says who? I mean, how, how can you say such a thing? Well, well, Jesus says it, doesn't he? Where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. Now, before we dig into this, I want to just mention a couple of, of, of general principles for us to look for uh, in this passage, and then we'll, we'll kind of get to the, the nitty-gritty of it here. Um, because we don't, the warning from the Lord is really clear to us. We don't want to miss the encouragement. There's actually great encouragement in this passage. Did you notice that? Some of you did. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. First principle, Christians hold on loosely to earthly things as stewards of God's good gifts. We hold on loosely to earthly things as stewards. I'm not an owner of earthly things, neither are you. God is. As a Christian, I'm a beloved and trusted slave, a steward of my master's stuff. And I'm accountable to my master for what I do with his stuff. Are you hearing this? Money, homes, cars, reputations, careers, friendships, family, a marriage. These blessings come from God. They're his. I am his steward. and, And I'm accountable to him for what I do with these good gifts. And I can live with great joy in my stewardship. As a steward, not an owner. Why? Because of the second principle. God rewards his people's faithful stewardship eternally. Eternally. Why would I not live toward, invest in, a heavenly treasure whose dividends are eternal, rather than a mere earthly treasure that ends with this life? So let's begin with the, the, the caution that we've been seeing again and again in this Sermon on the Mount. When, when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, um, he's speaking to those who are already in the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to his disciples. He's not describing a means of getting into the kingdom. No, he's speaking to you know, the, the, these are the king's blessed people. These are those who, whose entrance into the kingdom has already been described for us in the Beatitudes. A Christian is someone who, who craves right standing with God. A Christian is someone who mourns over his sinfulness before God. Where, where will she find this righteousness that God requires that she doesn't have to offer. She hungers for this, and she finds it only in Christ. The riches of Christ's own righteousness are given to all who repent and surrender allegiance to the King and Savior. And so before we go any further, let me just ask you this morning, has, has that miracle of grace happened to you? Have you received the riches of God's salvation in Jesus Christ? Have you grasped salvation by faith in Christ's work for you? His perfect life, his sin-atoning death, his resurrection to eternal life to give you a share 
of his reward. Is that you? Because that's who Jesus is talking to now in Matthew 6. Kingdom people. Kingdom people hold on loosely to God's stuff. Because sometimes God wants to move his stuff around. And, And he can't if his people have too tight a grip on it. We've heard this before. Christians have a genuine, sincere, real righteousness from God, not, a, not a, a, a fake one like the scribes and Pharisees just posing. And this real righteousness um, radically and progressively changes our disposition toward earthly things, material things. And so Jesus now describes this new disposition. Look at verse 19. It begins in a a negative sense with a warning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, it's been said that humans are born with clenched fists and and most human beings um, live their lives day by day and even go to the end of life with with a, with a with a fist still clenched still still grasping stuff or or the good things that god has provided them in this life not just money but but houses and land and and, and reputation and education and influence e- even other people can be the material earthly things that we value these are good things But how many of you know any of those good things can become idols? It's a little early for an aside, but here we go. (laughs) Is it possible that even something like um, pride of country and patriotism could become an idol? I'm just spitballing here. The human heart is designed to have one throne room and one throne. And we're challenged today to gaze into the throne room of our own hearts with God's help through the lens of Scripture and, and see who or what is really seated there. Has allegiance to Christ unclenched my fists with respect to my grasp on earthly things? Or is it true of me, even as I name Christ, that my grip on what is material has not really loosed that much at all? How would I know? Because I find that when I measure myself, it always comes out pretty good. Especially when I measure myself against the other guy. Right? The term store up or lay up for yourselves literally means treasure up. And how many of you know every person on planet Earth is treasuring up something for eternity? The scriptures even describe this in a, in a negative sense in Romans 2 with respect to those who reject Christ. They're also treasuring up stuff. But because of your stubbornness 
an unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will repay to each according to his works. That's kind of chilling, isn't it? To think that those who are rejecting God's mercy offered in Jesus Christ are day by day by day consistently storing up wrath for that day of judgment. Apart from the grace of Christ, the unrepentant sinner stores this up every day. If that doesn't make you want to reach out to your neighbor with the gospel, what would? But those who are saved by grace, are you saved? Those who are saved by grace have the opportunity to be responsible and Godward as his stewards and receive eternal reward. You see, the Bible says Christians are judged too. Not for punishment, praise God. How many of you know my sin has already been punished in Jesus Christ? Your sin, believer, has already been punished in Jesus Christ on your behalf. Our judgment, disciples, is for reward. And so the question for us this morning is, where, where is my treasure? What, what, what am I storing up? And, and so the king says in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Don't treasure up for yourselves that which is only temporary, corruptible, Fleeting, put your treasure where it gains interest for all eternity. First Peter 1 says this to us, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see the security of living for eternal reward? Now, why do I need this Caution then, as, as a saved person, as one of Jesus' disciples, as a follower of the king. Well, it's because I live in a world in which I am sorely tempted to overvalue earthly things. I speak from experience. Christians always swim against the strong current of materialism, particularly in our age and in our place on planet earth. Earthly things, when they're overvalued in my heart, will distract me from the purposes God has for me. Material things, when, when, when overvalued, will distract me from storing up that which brings eternal reward. Now, that brings us to our first point here. That seems like a bit of a long wind-up, doesn't it? 
But here's the first point, and there's only three, so don't, don't despair just yet. Um, worldliness robs God's people of eternal reward. Worldliness robs God's people of eternal reward. Look at the simple language of verses 19 and 20. Moth and rust represent all of those earthly processes that we're familiar with uh, that, that cause earthly treasures to diminish. And we, we no longer live in an age where we're, we're literally really concerned about moths not eating our clothes. Um, maybe that happens every now and again. Um, but we know all about this stuff from least to greatest material things decline rapidly, don't they? Bread gets moldy. You don't buy eight loaves and expect it to stay fresh. You buy one because it's going to be moldy. If you get it Monday, you're going you're gonna to not like what you see Friday, right? Taxes take away. Banks fail. I read that somewhere. Uh, stock markets slump. Jobs and reputations and, and positions ebb, do they not? And even are lost, and, and on it goes. We know all about the, the world and its, and its moths and its rust, destroying the material things we value. Many homes in ancient Israel were, were earthen. People didn't use banks and, and, and safes and all of that sort of stuff. They, they hid or buried their, their valuable clothing or coins or whatever they had uh, in that earthen house. And, and it was comparatively easy uh, for thieves to just dig into that, that earthen uh, little building and, and find the treasure. The, the salient point that Jesus is making here is, is really simple. Earthly wealth is inherently temporary and corruptible and unsecure. Now notice in, in Matthew 6 that, that Jesus' command is followed by a pathway to obedience to this command. Don't, don't miss that. If I'm not to hold on too tightly to stuff, if, if I have a natural tendency to do that, then how do I loosen my grip? Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't, don't wait for your heart to change and then manage your possessions or the things that are valuable to you accordingly. But, but that is a common approach, isn't it? Lord, as soon as I've really matured as a believer, uh, th- then I'm really going to start investing in the kingdom. My time, my energy, my, the, the education you've given me, all of those good gifts from God. God, as soon as I'm just a little more prestigious at that company, as soon as I'm a little higher up on the ladder, well, well then I'll use my influence for the gospel in that place. And, and the thing of it is, friend, is you won't. That, that, that will never happen. Why? Because your treasure is where your heart is. And your heart, is where your treasure is. Where you put your money, your material things, the, the earthly things that you value, uh, determines where your heart goes. So, so what am I to do? Well, by faith, I'm, I'm meant to start putting what I value most into that which is eternal. How much of my time 
is directed toward that which has eternal value. Your heart will follow where you store your treasure. You still with me? There's always a danger of these things being practical and personal. You want a heart for missions? Then give time, talent, and treasure to missions. Don't wait for God to zap your heart. He's zapping your heart right now by the Spirit through the Word. You want a heart for the poor and the lost? Then, then give to the poor and put your resources like time and energy and intellect into reaching the lost. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. You want a heart for God that functions as a light in this dark world? Then set your reputation aside and live so that his reputation takes precedence over your reputation in that place where nobody's following Jesus. Your heart will always be where your wealth is. And your heart will never be where your wealth is not. Do you mind being encouraged for a moment? Then we'll get back to the other stuff. Now that some of you are sponsoring Maasai girls in Tanzania, let's just test this thing out. Um, Isn't your heart there too? Just a little bit? You think of that child's family? You, you pray for that girl's tribe? You, you, you pray for her salvation? See, your, your heart is where that treasure is. You, you parents who are sacrificing for your children, you, you could pursue material things first and foremost above all else, but, but you choose instead to put time and, and ability and income into building a a, a safe, secure, godly home for those kids, your heart is there too, isn't it? It's not a drudgery. It's a joy. It's a joy to be a steward of your king's stuff. Maybe you're a grandparent who you've decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to work less or or not at all. I'm going to recreate a little less or not at all uh, so so I can be more available to those grandkids for kingdom purposes. Because life is short. And I've been walking with Jesus a long time. And I have a sense that I've got a little bit to offer the generation that's coming up. You're storing up heavenly treasure and, and... Your heart is there too, isn't it? There's joy in this. Will somebody nod their head? Yes. Anybody. Think of this. Think of what was shared, what Pastor Sean shared earlier. How is it that Hayden Bible Church... Uh, by God's grace, has been able to build and acquire property and fund ministry here in Kootenai County, but also around the world. Well, it's it's just a whole bunch of people um, in aggregate holding on loosely enough to God's stuff so that when God wants to move his stuff around, he can do it. Our wallets 
not just our words, really do reflect the true priorities of our hearts. Randy Alcorn, some of you know him. He's maybe best known for his book called Heaven. Um, But he wrote another book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he says this in summary of, of this portion of Matthew 6. He says, show me your checkbook, your credit card statement, and your receipts for cash expenditures, and I'll show you where your heart is. So let me, let me just stop. Not, not that we're done. Don't get the wrong idea. But let, let, me, let me just stop. Um, and, and correct what could be a wrong understanding of a passage like this. Because it, it can be rough sledding, can't it? What, what, what would be a wrong understanding of this passage? Jesus is not saying that God loves poor people more than rich people. Don't, don't think that. Job was rich beyond measure. Abraham was rich. David was rich. And, and, and one of his kids, Solomon, was, was ever more so. Although that didn't work out so well. Um, poverty in and of itself is not virtuous. Neither is great wealth in and of itself virtuous. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You can be greedy and selfish toward material things in poverty, not just in great wealth. How many of you know money is neutral? Money is neutral. It's either a tool or an idol. That's not my saying, but I don't remember who said it. In fact, God uses the accumulation of money as a means of our provision, doesn't he? Doesn't the Bible say, hey, you don't work, you don't eat? God uses the accumulation of of money as, as a means of our not being a burden to others, to help those in need, to foster gospel labors to to plan wisely for the future and so uh, money is involved in all of that and all of that is good material things are good gifts from God and we are actually meant to enjoy God's good gifts don't don't feel guilty about enjoying the good things God has provided you Paul says to Timothy this, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. There it is again, storing up for what? Not the future in this brief life, the eternal future that is promised to all of God's kids. So so back in, in Matthew 6, Jesus is not condemning the accumulation of wealth. He's condemning the selfish accumulation of wealth. Do you see the difference? Do you? It's the difference between whether stuff is a tool or stuff is an idol. Working hard, investing are good things commended 
commended to us in Scripture. Listen to Proverbs 6. You know this one. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. You know, so, so to earn honestly, to, to save wisely, to, to have something for the future, to have something that you can share with others is wise. Um, but to be obsessed with material things, Jesus says, is idolatry and it's sinful. So, so that's the first warning. Worldliness robs God's people of eternal treasure. Look, look at the second warning, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so Jesus is saying, look, worldliness blinds you to spiritual realities. When you're obsessed only with earthly things, you're going to miss spiritual realities. It, it clouds my vision of that which is eternal. An awful lot of us know what it is to be nearsighted. So an awful lot of us know what it is to have cataracts and that sort of thing. And so, so we understand what this is. Man, if, if I took my glasses off right now, I mean, you would pretty, you'd see me stumble down those stairs. It, you, you'd, you, you'd, you'd hear me preach much longer because I couldn't see the clock back there. <laughs> there's a reason why there's not one up here, by the way. Um, the good, clear, healthy eye in verse 22 represents a person who has unclouded vision, unhindered vision, an eternal perspective that's not dimmed at all by an obsession with what is utterly earthbound. So Jesus is using a metaphor here to describe what happens in the disciple, the follower of the king, when, when, when worldly things become too big, they're out of proportion. He says, your whole body, verse 23, will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Think about what that means just in, do you, do you care if this is practical for a minute? Think about what that means just in terms of your understanding the truth of God. Do you mean my understanding of the truth of God could be clouded by an obsession with earthly things? Absolutely. In fact, you could run the danger of reading all of the wrong things into the word of God. The prosperity gospel itself comes to mind, which is a prevailing heresy in our age. Your prayer life do you have a prayer life? Your prayer life becomes unproductive and unfulfilling because you're, you're, you've been blinded to God's priorities. You're only asking him for that which indulges you anyway. I know a man whose treasure is his public reputation. And, and it's become his idol. And, and I've seen over the years how he holds back as an ambassador for Jesus because his vision is clouded by undue concern for himself. What will other people think? Listen, 
If obedience to the word of God is crimped by something in your life, that something is your treasure. If obedience to the word of God is hindered by something in your life, whatever that something is, that's your treasure. Again, how about a little bit of encouragement? This church just celebrated opening a new family center. How many of you know that's a good thing? That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, Debt-free. Um, and, and, and as Sean mentioned, just, just acquired by God's grace uh, a, a little bit of property for a, for a parking lot. Not by next week, but, 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 but Lord willing, soon, Right? And then if he allows us to, to, to expand the, the, the room here just a little bit, that, that might come as well. Um, but those good gifts could become cataracts that block our vision of reaching this community for Christ if we were to allow that to happen. Do you think there are churches in America obsessed with their stuff? I'll just leave, it, leave that there. And so as a church, we don't want to let God's good gifts, the good things we enjoy, become fixations that we cling to and become inordinately focused on. Buildings and parking lots, you know, whether we get the seat we want on a Sunday. (laughs) These are tools for the kingdom. They're not things to, to grasp as if they're ours. That's going to play a lot differently in the next service, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Worldliness blinds God's people to spiritual realities. And it's a subtle thing. It's it's a sneaky bugger, isn't it? It, It just creeps up on you. And then by God's grace, you realize, good heavens, I, I care way too much about this. So don't blow past that caution, Jesus says. The scriptures give us many examples of those whose affections for the world and what it has to offer uh, got them shipwrecked when it comes to following Christ. At its worst, love for earthly things will keep someone out of the kingdom. Judas Iscariot comes to mind. I mean, for a little while there, everybody looked at Judas and thought, man, there goes one of the Jesus people. He's doing all sorts of stuff in the name of Jesus. That's a good thing, isn't it? Um, but, but, you know, toward the end of Matthew's gospel, we'll, we'll, we'll hear and, and, and see Judas, you know, have this kind of conversation within himself. You mean we're, we're going to be unpopular? You, you mean we're going to be poor? You, you mean we're not going to have the political influence we want? Anybody hearing this? Our party isn't going to win. Our earthly kingdom isn't going to go down the way we want it to go down. We might even get killed. I'm out. And he does what? He goes from posing as a disciple to selling out the master for a few bits of metal that mean nothing now. 
Demas comes to mind. Demas, you might remember, had, had been one of the Apostle Paul's gospel co-workers. And, and Paul commends Demas in his letter to the Colossians. He commends Demas in his short letter to Philemon. Um, but then toward the end of Paul's life, the Apostle writes this, this really sad little footnote in, in 2 Timothy. Demas, having loved this present age, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I mean, that's all that's said. But there's a lot that's being said there, isn't it? Demas deserted not only the imprisoned Paul, but, but he deserted gospel ministry itself because it threatened his love affair with this present age. In other words, Demas suffered from the spiritual nearsightedness Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6. So how do we, how do we end this thing? Well, um, Jesus speaks of two treasuries, right? He speaks of two, two visions or two kinds of perspective, and then finally two masters. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is simply an Aramaic word for for wealth or riches. Um, And you say, well, wait a minute. I'm not sure I agree with that. So let me just tell you this for free. If Jesus says something and you're not sure whether you agree with it, that's where you stop, okay? Um, But let's just say you didn't and you're still thinking to yourself... um, that doesn't seem right because I've held down two jobs. I've held down two jobs at the same time. That's not what Jesus is saying when he says you can't serve two masters. An employer has a limited expectation of you. When Jesus used the word, uses the word master, he's saying to his, his disciples, y'all are slaves. You're not employees clocking in and out. There's a lot of Christians clocking in and out. You all are slaves of a kind, benevolent master, not employees. And when you put the things of this world in first place, you're you're surrendering your allegiance to the wrong master. And, and, And no slave has ever been able to pull off the two masters thing. A master demands complete ownership. The master gets all your mental energy, your time, your, your money, your agenda for life is all set by the master. Does that make sense? So you cannot put your king, Jesus, and an idol, worldliness, in your life and expect them to get along. It's not possible. Your king will not share the throne room of your heart. Worldliness, again, an undue attachment to material things is simply idolatry. And that's the last point, really. Worldliness turns God's people toward idolatry. 
worldliness turns God's people toward idolatry. So, so what do we do? Well, says the king, we, we hold on loosely to material things, things of this earth, this life that we value much, even as we appreciate them, even as we enjoy them, because we're stewards, not owners. And we do so joyfully knowing that our king rewards his faithful stewards eternally. Do you notice, as I do, that the word reward keeps coming up in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you notice that? So, I mean, doesn't Jesus say, I don't want to belabor this, but if you look at the Beatitudes, for example... Um, Jesus says, um, blessed are you, verse, chapter 5, verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And he keeps mentioning this, this idea of reward. And so, so the believer is meant to be thinking about his or her eternal future as, as he or she looks at the happenings of this life now. And, and the Bible does speak of the Lord's faithful stewards given rewards for things like good works and persevering under persecution, showing compassion to the needy, um, um, gospel labors, you know, g- giving generously to those who are without winning souls and so on. Um, and then, you know, I, I've read somewhere something about casting all of those crowns at the feet of the Savior, the King. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said this in, in another one of his works. He said, Consider to provoke you to good works that you shall have from God when you come to glory a reward for everything you do for him on earth. I mean, that is a staggering thing to think about, isn't it? Eternal investment by the way we think about and live out our lives now. Let me just end with this. We're meant to use the lesser treasures of this life that God gives to us as we're enjoying them. We're meant to use them to invest in that far greater treasure that Jesus speaks of here in Matthew 6. And given the brevity of this life, which is very much on many of our minds right now, given the season we seem to be in as a church, life is really short, isn't it? That treasure will soon be realized. Listen to these words from Jesus. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with this reminder that we do have this tendency to grasp too tightly the good things that you give us. So, Lord, I pray that you would so work in us, Lord, that we would be those in this community whose allegiance to you shows up in
the nature of that grasp on material things. And Lord, we thank you for this reminder that we are living now for eternity. And the way we live now will matter for eternity. Lord, we thank you that as you journeyed toward your cross, you did so for the joy that was set before you. Lord, your bride, your redeemed people are that great reward that you lived toward. Souls are a treasure in your heart. And Lord, I pray that that would be ever more so true of us as well. And we ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.